You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Thank you, Molly. I am incredibly nervous, so I've written a few bullet points on the back of a fag packet, or a picture of a fag packet, actually. Hi. My dad, age 10, I thought he was an absolute hero. Moody, taciturn, monosyllabic. He drink whiskey and smoke players number six and blow the smoke out through his nose. All qualities that I admired. <laughs> he was like a character from a spaghetti western, and he certainly wasn't frightened of anybody. I'll give you an early example of this. When my youngest sister, Beverly, came back from primary school, she said she was accused of carving her initials into the desk, and she cried to my dad, about the unfairness of it all, blaming a boy who had a crush on her at the time, Gordon Underwood. <laughs> Without any hesitation at all, my dad marched down to the primary school, straight into the headmaster's office, where he got the guy up against the wall, and he threatened to carve his initials into the headmaster's forehead. <laughs> it didn't seem to matter later, when Bev fezzed up and said it was actually her. <laughs> this was my dad carving out a reputation, keeping us safe, or so we thought. I was in awe of my dad, the way he wouldn't take any shit. He was what people called a character, and he'd tell people exactly what he thought of them, which wasn't great, especially if they were your bosses. So this meant we moved several times. And then he decided that he'd become his own boss. And he had the outlandish idea of running his own pub. His main experience was the other side of the bar, actually. But somehow he persuaded my poor mum that it was a great business opportunity. And so he uprooted her and his three small daughters from a terrace in a nice little market town, off to a remote village miles from anywhere where we didn't know a single soul. The customers were his drinking buddies, ex-army mates, poachers, and petty criminals. The takings in the main were derived from lock-ins which went on into the early hours of the morning. Sometimes they'd span whole weekends. And if the punters were pissed, too pissed, and that meant very pissed indeed, too pissed to drive home, then they'd stay over and sleep on the floor of the bar, often feeling pretty rough the next morning. And in fact, one of them was sick in Ali's school shoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
the next morning, which she discovered too late. <laughs> the takings, even when they were derived in this way, weren't really enough to sustain any sort of living. So my mum, ever resourceful, decided to open a pop-up shop with a second-hand freezer and started to do pub lunches. She also learnt to drive, which came in handy because she could go to the cash and carry and take local kids to the hospital when they had accidents. We spent our childhood in that pub. We learnt to play darts, school darts. That's where I learnt my nine times table. We played shove penny, cards, and learnt to operate the jukebox with a hair grip rather than a sixpence. But it still wasn't enough to sustain us, really. And eventually, the pub went bust, as is often the case when you have an alcoholic landlord. Dad disappeared, and we ended up squatting, which wasn't a term that I understood as a child. And I think it's a tribute to mum that we weren't unhappy at that time. She must have protect, protected us somehow from the grim reality of the situation. Even Dad's family were adamant that he was no good. And they tried to prevail upon Mum not to have him back under any circumstances. Under the threat of an eviction order, Mum put our names down for a council house as a single parent three daughters and when we secured our little council house within weeks dad had returned with his tail between his legs a knocked off color telly and the promise of a job but by this time my mum had got a job too she'd become a postwoman which meant she had some security even though it meant she was up at five and often not home from a second shift until six o'clock. Dad's job was a steel erector. Within several months, he arrived back in the early hours one morning after having fallen off a beam some 18 foot up, into the, up in the air. His workmate had driven him back in a transit van with his right arm and right leg broken in plaster. I don't know why it was a transit van and not an ambulance, but he arrived back in our front room where he was put onto the couch and that's where he stayed for several months with a urine bottle beside him and a commode in the corner. Now, during this time, the urine bottle featured quite prominently in our family operations. And this was because whoever got downstairs first in the morning had the job of emptying the large, full, warm urine bottle into the outside lavvy. That meant Ali and Bev would often fight at the top of the stairs and the loser would get the job. Sorry, Al. Anyway, when Dad eventually was feeling a little bit better. 
and he could manoeuvre himself into a wheelchair. Then he rang up his mates and he asked them to take him down to the local pub, the Wagon and Horses, where I think he lasted a couple of hours after a couple of pints. And then he fainted. Back he came onto the couch, delaying his recovery even further. When he was eventually fully recovered, he got himself a few odd jobs. But by this time, mum's patience had worn thin. And when I was away at university, she decided to divorce him. He moved to a lodging house just down the road, much to her embarrassment. None of us as his daughters were really shocked or sorry. He continued to drink even more, and he worked even less. Then, before his 60th birthday, he had a brain aneurysm. His arteries were clogged, apparently. No real surprise with his lifestyle. He was in hospital for six months, and then when it became apparent that he wasn't ever going to recover. He got moved to a nursing home. My mum was a brick during this time, and she'd go up to the home and she'd take him out to see his grandkids ride ponies, perform in school plays, sing at the carol concert. She even wiped his ass when he shat himself. She must have forgiven him. And when we buried him, it was my mum who told us details of his life that we couldn't possibly have known. The fact that he signed up early to, to join the army and his mates in Malaya, age 17. This was where my mum was convinced he got the taste for alcohol specifically rum, that they used to serve up in large syrupy measures to the young soldiers before they shoved them out into the jungle to shoot people. He probably returned with PTSD as well. He couldn't show my mum any emotion, nor us, as his daughters, really. He was troubled, complex, enigmatic. And now, looking back, I can try to understand him with more compassion. And this was an example that I've taken from my mum. Years on, trying to make sense of what happened to us as a family it's clear to me that the real hero of the piece, the person who looked out for us, ensured we got an education, watched our back, and generally supported us, kept us safe somehow. The true hero was my mum. Thank you.
True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.